0: yo, artists and musicians.
1: Who, us?
0: Yeah, do you want your own vinyl records?
1: Yeah, but I can't order a thousand of them. or we'll wait like a year to get them. Yeah, we're going on tour in two months.
0: Check out our friends lathecuts.com. They'll make you vinyl singles in quantities as small as 50 copies and as quickly as three or four weeks.
1: Get out of here.
0: You heard me, right? All their pricing is a la carte and they can help you pick a package that fits your budget.
1: Okay, who we talk to about this?
0: You need to email my buddy Mike. His address is lathecuts at yahoo.com. And if you mention Low Profile, you'll get a 10% overrun on your order.
1: So if I order 50 wafers,
0: Mike's gonna send you 55.
1: If I order 75, I guess you would get 82 and a half?
0: Something like that. Remember, you gotta mention Low Profile to get that deal, and it won't be around forever.
1: Low we start dress again?
0: That's lathecuts@yahoo.com. Custom-made records in small quantities? Mention Low Profile to get a 10% overrun on your order.
1: And email me now.
0: Hi, this is Markley, and here's my friend Jeffrey introducing today's show.
2: Welcome to the Season 2 finale of Low Profile. Uh, this is Jeffrey Lewis here in New York City. I make up songs, and I make comic books, and I'm a big fan of old records, and uh, at some point in discovering old records from the 60s, I started to hear this name, the Holy Modal Rounders. I was really interested in psychedelic music particularly, but I didn't really know that much about them. They didn't really seem like a psychedelic band. I couldn't really be sure what they were. I just would sometimes see their records, and usually they were more expensive than I could afford while I was buying cheaper 60s records, you know, for like three or four bucks. Uh, but at some point a record store in my neighborhood was going out of business, and they had a sale, and I bought this record, which is the first Holy Mole Rounders record, self-titled.
3: Hey, hey, baby, you know you got the best of me. Hey, hey, baby, you know you got the best of me. You can do what you do, you can say what you say, but keep on chucking my blues away.
4: You know I ain't very good. In the morning
2: without my good cocaine. And it really blew me away. I um, wasn't really sure what to expect from this record. It looked folky, and it is folky, but there's something so slightly other dimensional about it. The, the sound, the attitude, it's haunting. And then, uh, you know, after their second album, they got involved with the Fugs, and this. Record, The Village Fogs, uh, is a record that was in my parents' record collection. This is my own copy of it that I'm holding at the moment. This is just such a phenomenal, groundbreaking never quite repeated musical document. Um, although I you know I love all the Fugs records and I love all the rounders records but um, something happened at that time that just so many elements coalesced and they were so fearless and outrageous that the combination of you know politics, sex, psychedelia, extreme countercultural outrageousness, Um, It just draws together so many strands and is so exuberant and raw and lo-fi. I think it was all recorded into one microphone with everybody in the room just you know going at it simultaneously. And you know through the later 60s the Rounders kind of broke up and then reformed and kept, uh, you know, had an extremely unprofessional approach to being a band you could say. They weren't the most uh, wise about their career. They were uh, drug lunatics or something like that. They were Anybody who's ever been in a band knows how much difficulty there is in being in a band, regardless of whether you're also dealing with a bunch of speed freaks and hallucinogens and whatever else. So whatever the legendary stories of how out of their minds the Holy Mobile Rounders were at that time, uh, Steve Weber and Peter Stamfel, as the core of the band, even though they kept battling with each other apparently, they did – Continue to make recordings such as uh, "Indian War Whoop" and the album "The Moray Eels Eat the Holy Modal Rounders," um, which, you know, sort of start to sound like '60s acid rock records, although kind of not really fitting in with that either. So
4: suspended the world's in our last will lose in the sea's buoyancy. Come leap off lily joy.
2: And then in the 70s, these other albums that they put out, uh, you know, some of it sounds a bit more like old timey music. And then in the mid 70s, some of their greatest it's recordings in various God. iterations of the band. Uh, include uh, Alleged in Their Own Time which is I think from 1976 or 75 and uh, we see some of Peter Stample's personal collection of bottle caps. He's got thousands and thousands of bottle caps. The album cover of Alleged in Their Own Time I think is maybe the first Holy Mobile Rounders record where you see some of Peter Stample's bottle cap collection on the cover but his bottle caps reoccur throughout his career. Um, anyway, he's got uh, Peter with or without his partner, Steve Weber, um, who passed away not that long ago. Now, they hadn't spoken in many years, apparently, when when Steve Weber died. But um, Steve relocated to the uh, west coast of the United States and Peter Stample stayed here in New York City. And that was part of what made the relationship of the Holy Modal Rounders difficult. They were also at different times, you know, into different drugs or, you know, Peter was getting sober and becoming a family man, and Steve was still a lunatic, and all of that stuff, to really get the full story of the Holy Mobile Rounders, I really recommend the film Bound to Lose. And um, seek it out, listen to their records, listen to the first album, listen to that first Fugs record, listen to the record Have Moisy, listen to *Alleged in Their Own Time, and a lot of Peter's later albums, uh, Duke of the Beatniks is a great record, The Jig Is Up is a great record, he's continued to create fantastic music for decades upon decades, and uh, he's still just full of enthusiasm and uh, you know has brought just so much joy and interesting stuff into the lives of many people so long may he continue and it's it's a body of work well worth checking out. Yeah,
0: Hello, Peter. Hey.
4: Yeah.
0: Hey, Mark. We oh, here.
4: Hand.
0: Yeah. Peter, I just wanted to catch up a little bit. Um, your your former partner in crime, Steve Weber, passed, and uh, I yep. know no one had heard from him in quite a while. But uh... that's because his psychotic
3: girlfriend isolated him from all his friends. She didn't even tell anyone that he died, but she did take care of him for all those years, during which he refused to speak to me. get like, yeah, the last time he actually talked to me was it was um, in Oh three. Wow. So um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm writing a piece on him for a perfect sound forever
0: perfect sound forever. You, you've written a number of pieces for them.
3: So, yeah, good, yeah.
0: Good research work.
3: Thank you. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a great site. I mean, I really like, like like smart people writing interesting things about stuff we care about.
0: Is there a particular anecdote uh, from, from that piece that you could share with us?
3: There's a section called Weber's stinky feet. All right. Once upon a time, in 1964, Weber left his cowboy boots on all summer long while seriously staying up for about five days on amphetamine in a row and crashing for three, which was his normal pattern for several years. Yes, he slept in them too, but one day... After three or four months, he took them off. Weber, Antonia, and I shared a four-room railroad flat on Houston Street in the Lower East Side, half a block from from the Parkside Lounge, which is still there. We were on one end with the kitchen and the other room between us, but when he took them off, Antonia and I started gagging. went to his room to see what the f*** we saw. We had already smelled. We told him to put his boots on the fire escape and close the window. It was still unbearable. Then we told him to wash his feet in the tub. On he stunk. Finally, we brought him a kind of comet cleanser and told him to use it, which he did scrubbing away for several minutes. Even that only worked a little bit. The bad smell lingered until the day after the next. Weber was the most singular human being. But he didn't treat his feet very well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we will remember Steve Weber thusly.
3: Oh, he's, he's, memorable. I mean, there was absolutely never anyone like him. And absolutely, will never meet anyone like him again. I mean, I, you know, like, all well, it's that sweet genesis, sweet whatever that phrase is pronounced. Um, one of a kind. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm trying to. I, I'm basically trying to come to terms with how I really, you know, feel about him, and and not whitewash anything. I mean, I think I think all the all all the awful shit he pulled as well as the amazing shit should be, you know, should be, you know, not uh, um included. I mean, I'm. I'm trying to to um, show his you know negative and positive aspects without emphasizing either. Oh, he had a, he had a he had an, ex- he had an like I, I'm amazed he lasted that long. I mean, like uh, like you know shooting up since a teenager, lifelong smoker and drinker, never exercising, uh, bad diet, um, you know. He couldn't have treated his body worse. Like I, I really can't think of anything he could have, except for like maybe self mutilation. You know.
0: Yeah, it takes a certain kind of. Crazy. So given that, like, oh, hang on. That, the, that's uh, your tea.
3: That's my tea. And fifteen minutes have been passed. And, uh, you know, I gotta. Extract the One One second.
0: Well, damn, Peter, um, I think I got about two and a half or three hours of tape from you for for an hour show. <laughs> so I'm I'm good. I think we You're did it.
3: Covered pretty good. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, always a pleasure talking to you.
3: You too. You too.
0: Okay, more from Peter later, but right now we're going to switch gears and talk to Robin Ramaley, who played a vital role in the West Coast 1970s version of the Holy Modal Rounders. Before he even joined the band, he wrote the song Euphoria, which was one of the best tracks on their first album, and one of the best songs of the 20th century.
3: Ma's out there switching in the kitchen, and Dad's in the living room, grussing and a bitching, and I'm out here kicking the gong for you. Euphoria, euphoria, when your mind starts wheeling and a
2: walking, your inside voices start squealing and a squawking, floating around on a belladonna cloud, singing euphoria, euphoria.
5: You know, people write the coolest stuff when they're young. If if you've noticed, you know I've caught on to that. Isn't that amazing how that happens, you know, like like the originality that, that sparks out of people when they're in their 20s, you know, or, or younger type of thing? I guess it starts out before that, and that is, I knew Steve back in Pennsylvania, in Bucks County, where, where we both lived at that point, and still, I think, just about still in teenage age, so we played some together, out there in the country, and, uh, and then Steve started going more and more into New York City and playing around. He had the uh, he had the uh, ability to perform a song. I mean, I just sort of played and you know whatever, but Steve performed. And then he met Peter, and I remember him coming out and was just like totally knocked out overjoyed and he would show up singing these off the wall unusual songs that he had learned from peter and uh that was the beginning of the group there of uh you know and then uh, then pretty soon i hear tell uh somebody came out and uh said uh, a friend came out said uh, they're making the stanfield and weber making a record um and the name of their group is Holy Modal Rounders, and uh, they're going to put Euphoria on it. And Steve's saying he write, wrote it. So I got my tail into New York City, found out where Peter lived, knocked on his door a- address, and that's where I met Peter. And uh, all that, you know, royalties and all that got, got set up easily enough. And uh, that was that was it and so they ended up playing and I I was pretty much out there stayed out in the country didn't have much truck in in cities for a number of quite a number of years until uh, different band members came in myself was got to be finally included in the rounders as playing at gigs and uh, let me see sometime along I don't know whether it was Peter or Steve or whatever but there was a band changed got rid uh, changed a drummer and uh and bass player and Steve and various members had moved up to new yorks had moved up to Boston for a little bit, sort of like focusing and trying to play different because things were very dried up in New York City as far as gigs um ended up as being centered up in Boston Peter's still in New York, so the split between Peter and Steve had you know, had taken geographical, you know, um, evidence there. You know, and so we went to Europe for a few months. Ended up having all kinds of experiences, automobile wreck, and all kinds of stuff. Ended up wow. with Chris, Chris Jania,
4: uh-huh.
5: for while drummer while while Roger recovered and. All kinds of different things. Anyway, come back to you was a choice. Do you want to come back to America and continue playing, or should we uh, disband the band? And uh, I had an option of going off with my girlfriend, Tefia, to go back to Afghanistan and join the hashish trade, but I didn't, and uh, ended up going back to the States with everybody. Yeah, we came back from Europe wondering what to do, and at that point, the drummer's wife, Ty, was pregnant. And she said, I want to have my baby around my mom who lives in Portland. And there'll be plenty of work over there. Why don't you all come to Portland? And uh, so I guess they had bought an old 51 Greyhound diesel bus. They'd fixed it up, taken seats out, put beds in there and uh the band trucked across um trucked across the country to portland whereupon there was no work except one place called the white eagle that was just a great bar and uh and so we held forth there and slowly and surely got into other got to go play other places and the uh the interest in the band as far as it being a party band and a fun band uh sort of took off and we ended up there for a few years being one of the most popular bands around
0: yeah and, and it was a whole yeah it was more of a rowdy like a bar band
5: more or less but but we didn't play there was somebody wrote a uh, article in new york about us. Steve's, you know, an obituary and and, and made mention that the Rounders, West Coast Rounders, turned into a rock and roll band. Untrue. Never a rock and roll band. Only played Rounders material, but just had a whole band that loved the jam. So it didn't matter what the hell the tune was, it would be a jam attached. It would be a country tune. It would... And five minutes later, it'd be atonal jazz. And then it would go back at the end to the country tune, you know.
3: When I come home, all
5: tired out now, more. your belly, your belly's dead, just like a pole in a storm.
3: Yes,
4: yes, that's how it is. Got that belly, I do
5: it, it was fun, and you know there was times when there'd be 300 people boogieing out there, you know, in front of us. Yeah, so. We ended up up there in Portland and slowly and surely things got up. things got more and more fun and uh, it was a tragedy in another way because the guys who liked dope there was too much of it was out, it was like easiest to, to so these guys ended up going in back and forth between being junkies and and alcoholics that their habits would get too bad to'd take up booze, their lives would get ruined but then they'd go back and forth between dope and alcohol and um you know things got pretty boring but they would show up at least on the alcohol um, on on the heroin they were, it was more boring but you know that that show wasn't just about who was who was doing what it was about music and having fun playing yeah yeah that was so whatever you know about about that angle but there was times in all those years when the band had really created some really cool music you know and then it just got tightened up and tightened up and every and it just ended up as sort of doing a precise version of a song kind of stuff and that's that's okay but i always sort of regretted that that the real sound of what we did out in the west coast never got on a record because it was pretty interesting you know, just to go hear people just jamming. You know, the song was the song was only the vehicle for messing around. You know,
4: mm-hmm.
5: and the song wasn't that important. It was just that was put on the middle or in the beginning and at the end, and the band would generally speaking go off on, and and you know it got to be too much of a routine. Everybody had to take their solo kind of thing. You know, and uh, well, there are times when perhaps. Everybody taking solos on things isn't a good idea, you know, kind of thing. But uh, the rounders were failing, you know, uh, we, not changing, not changing repertoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve didn't want to learn new songs and so on, like that. And I don't know. I guess I wasn't coming across with all that great, great material. I was, I was lost in, I was lost in just having a good time. Running around with girlfriends and not paying attention to music, and that's where I went wrong. Personally speaking, is I didn't, I didn't do what I did have done a few years ago, namely take up music for the love of music again and try to try to get better at it. You know, because you love it. Uh, it was just there, was something we did, and I wasn't try, no, I wasn't trying to get better at it. And therefore, you fail if you don't try to get better. You don't, you know how it is yeah yeah so I, uh... I ended up drop- i ended up dropping out of the whole picture at at one point um sort of later on in around eighty ended up just moving away from it and uh but there was there was uh nine nine years ten years of some pretty pretty interesting
0: stuff going went on down here and when's the last time you saw weber? went the day before he left
5: portland and i went over to where he was shacking up and it was a difficult situation poor guy was uh with a little heater and underneath one army blanket shivering i could see him shivering and uh uh, what did i do i gave him a hundred dollars to get out of bail to get out of town and uh I took some money and went up to the, walked up to the store and got a GIQ of some sort of green, green beer. You know, I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, nasty stuff. <laughs> and, and he was set and uh, split town and went back to uh, East Coast. And I never saw him again. Wow. Um, Steve was quite charismatic. Um person it didn't even matter whether he could hear him play or whatever he was he was the center on the stage you know no matter what was going on all eyes would always be on steve you know there's just something he was he was charismatic you know he was he was an eye catcher you know
0: yeah yeah real character
5: real character you know and nobody and and people didn't understand a lot of people don't understand why the rounders were successful out here in less than they used to play songs real fast where you just sort of hop on and you hop on you do it really fast and you hop off and you go hop on something else and do it really fast and you hop off well i I was into music jamming more than I am into whatever just knocking out songs, yeah, and that that was the Originality and the thrill of it for the audiences because you never know it was going to happen.
0: Well, Robin, I just want to say thank you for sharing with us, with me. And uh, I really look forward to getting this out there to the world and hopefully somebody will discover it for the first time or maybe be reminded of it. And thank you for your uh, work. I think you did a good thing in this world. Well, nice. Nice. Uh, good, thank you.
1: I took a drink. I took a drink. Then
0: yeah. I, I fell down in the sink. I took a drink. I took a drink. Then I, I fell down in the sink. was Robin Romaley. We talked for a long time and he's a swell guy. Before we move on to this 2018 conversation with Peter Stamfel, I just want to let you know it was the first interview I recorded for this podcast before I had the bugs worked out and before I had Miles and his engineering finesse on my side. So any improvements on the audio fidelity are to his credit. Bless up, Miles. Here we go.
1: Something I've heard mentioned before, but never really heard anything about, was uh, that the Holy Mobile Rounders evolved out of McGrundy's old-timey wool thumpers. Is that is that accurate? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> no? That was That was just uh, something beforehand? Yeah, the first
3: um, band I was in when I got
1: to New York uh, was,
3: um, there, there was a a um, Brooklyn halfway house for bad Jewish girls who were just out of an institution, which was constructed to deal with bad Jewish girls. And it was a halfway house. It was like a you know, um, they could they 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 stayed there and ate there and stuff there, but they could you know they could go out. <laughs> they could go outside, and uh, they were having a a. a um, the annual Parents Get Together, which is of course is a very, very uh, uh strained occasion. And um some of the girls hired um two friends that I have to uh play at the get together. And uh I was just trying to play fiddle at the time and so we decided we should all three of us do it. So we all three of us played that and we needed we needed a name so we picked these old-timey wolf numbers, that was me and Rob Hunter, not not the Grateful Dead, Rob Hunter, and uh, George Dawson. And, that's and George
1: I mean. Dawson was a banjo picker, right?
3: Yeah, and a fiddler. Yeah. He died recently.
1: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah.
3: I haven't seen him since, for decades. I, just, I know he was on the West Coast, and I, heard that, I just heard about it about a year ago. Anyway, that what? was the
2: yeah,
3: that that was the first uh, uh, the first band basically that was in. How long did that last? Uh, well, j- just for that one gig actually, and then okay. um we evolved into the uh, strict and string band of Lower Delancey Street, which um was the idea was that. Uh, it was kind of like a floating population. Like whoever played with anyone in the band was a band member, basically. It was kind of like got you, a, yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of like a oh, who's in the band? I don't know. You want to play with us? You know. <laughs> so that was the um, that was the second group I was part of.
1: And then, uh, and then you eventually met Steve Weber, one way yeah. or another.
3: Well, one way or another was uh, my girlfriend Antonia had been a girlfriend of his before I met her. And it was her idea to, her idea was for us to play together
4: uh, and
3: only she didn't say anything. She just introduced us and the idea was that we'd think it was our idea or I'd think it was my idea because women aren't supposed to be pushy. They're supposed to be sneaky instead. It was a it was one a plan a plan to to get, keep Weber off the streets unquote and also um, we both had a lot to learn from each other that was her basic thinking behind the concept but you know she basically engineered the whole thing uh, like like she kept telling me these stories about this Weber person which was mostly like scary and awful stories of you know daring do and uh, wickedness and um, so I was expecting this, this kind of like degenerate, scary guy. And when he came to visit us in May of 63, he was 19 years old and looked like an idealized little Abner. And we we um, we we um took some speed and started playing. I wasn't expecting, you know, like like, like a young white kid that played, you know, in country blues style, very decently and sang really, really nicely. You know, it was like a the last thing I was expecting, you know. And the first time we played together, it felt like we've been playing together forever. It was like a, you know, a made-in-heaven, you know, that. I got my hesitating feet, my hesitating shoes, I believe to my soul, I got the hesitating ways, tell me how long, I do I have to
2: wait, or can I get you now, or must I must have hesitate, i was born in pennsylvania i was raised in france i'm a dirty old man and i wear silk pants tell me how long do i have
0: to wait or can i get you now or must i hesitate
1: what, what was your connection to like kind of the hillbilly culture and country blues and all that as a young man in new york
3: well there was a hell of a lot of it in new york um I mean, there there were, you know, there, there, there were, bluegrass had been played in New York since the um, late 50s, you know?
1: Sure, sure.
3: And then uh, you know, obviously, Randers formed in 58 to bring uh, pre bluegrass to the public attention. And then I finally heard the Smith Anthology for the first time in
1: 59 after moving to New York, which of course um, made everything suddenly clear. And then a lot of people around there tried to dress up that sound, and you tried to kind of you, you didn't you didn't try to make it fancy. You guys like kept it raw.
3: Well, um, people were playing what we were playing tended to want to sound like an old record, basically, and felt that um, uh, it shouldn't be altered. That was and, and my, my thinking was. Uh, what would these, you know, if you could magically bring these 20s people like, you know, Dave Macon and Charlie Poole to the modern year of, of 1963 and exposing a rock and roll, what would they do then? And that, that seemed like a much more interesting idea than oh, let's try to it. sound like
1: 1927. So, so you guys, like, kept working as a duo for what, about a year? Is that, is that accurate? A year or two? Uh, no, uh,
3: from May...
1: 63 to July of 65
3: because Weber was getting really, really crazy um, and missing gigs and we're playing in Baltimore and he's, you know, like, like it's
4: uh,
3: a place called a hot shop. It's like a, like a Howard Johnson's, like 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 a diner on a weekday full of people getting lunch and he's giving hashish to the waitress. You know, hey, this is hashish. He's going to give you this hashish. You know? <laughs> in 1965, you know, at high noon. Um, and uh, also, he, he started missing gigs, and he, and he missed, when he missed the third gig in a row, I figured, you know, that that that's it. Also, like, the other thing was, um, I really thought that we were going to be this huge phenomenon, you know? I had this feeling that some huge phenomenon was on the horizon. Like,
1: to overthrow the pop world? Sort of, like, well, I thought that we would be, be
3: like really successful. I thought, I thought that we were like like uh, doing uh, traditional music in a new way that could be um, as popular as the most popular folk music, which at the time was pretty popular. And um, what happened, however, there was indeed something big happening on the horizon that was going to blow everything up. And of course, it turned out to be the Beatles. And uh, who... Basically, uh, hit America r- right after Kennedy was shot,
1: approximately. It, didn't and, you, you? You recorded your album you know, the day before. The day before, right? Yeah. And uh, at that point,
3: um, Weber basically realized that we had some sort of a chance. Of, uh, like when 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 the Beatles hit, um, all the pop music people were saying, "Oh you know, oh, we're in trouble. We're in trouble now." Uh, this, there's this hot new thing coming, and we're we're in trouble now. But the consensus was, but, um, but the rounders are okay. It won't it, it won't bother them, you know. They they, they can sort of see it's <laughs> yes. this, you know, part of this um, new thing that was going on. But it's a it
1: whole be, other ball game.
3: Yeah, when it became clear that the Beatles were going to be well, when it became clear that we had had a, a pretty serious chance of having some degree of success, uh, Weber basically started sabotaging shit and uh refusing to work out new songs. And we'd be on stage and he would I hate know I wasn't gonna sing this whole shit again I gotta play something new, i hate this whole song. And we'd get off and, and I mean like working on a song was very simple. You simply play it three times and it was good to go, you know? Sure, yeah. And after okay, well here I got these new songs i let's work on and he, and he would like like just stomp off. So between that and his, you know, like increasing craziness, like there's a period, uh, Well, we were playing with the, we playing with the p- plugs in late 64 as well. We were their backup band, you know, we volunteered. But well, we took speed together, of course, at first, and then I quit taking speed in late 63, early 64. And um, Weber and my ex-Antonio continued using it. And by late, um, by, by early 65, Uh, early, mid-'65, Weber did this thing where he was, basically, he would be up for five days and he'd crash for three. That was the usual pattern. And um, he went through this period of about two weeks in which he, uh, every sentence that he said had nothing to do with the one before or after. It was really pretty amazing. Not not the fact that he was rambling, the fact that it was like completely—I mean—he he, ramble off, but the fact that his senses did not connect ever, nonstop was like uh, something I'd never heard before in my life. Yeah. Before sense, but he still did a couple of gigs during the period. And, you know, like like the gigs, like 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 worked okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so I kept playing with him in July of '65. Um tried to put together another band uh, over the years, met Sam Shepard and he was playing drums. And I met him in October of um sixty six. Uh, I I was finding this guy Richard Tyler as well, and this guy Dave Levy and we had a band called the Moray Eels. Moray isn't more amphetamine. We also were approached by Bern Stallman in, in uh summer of sixty seven to he wanted to make a holy modal rounder record and uh which turned out to be the next thing. Well uh Weber won't rehearse. He won't play, any, you know, like like uh, it's gonna be difficult to make an album with someone who won't work on the songs for the album, you know? And, and I was playing with Sam at the time, so uh so the three of us went in the studio and basically without any rehearsal like like not about that, you know, sloppy, sometimes interesting album. And um the third time was in um Late '67, when again, uh, some people uh, offered us a, you know, a, a couple hundred dollar job, which again, like I say is big money. And um, so that was the third time after breaking up that we played together. And um, this guy Barry Friedman, who changed his name eventually to Fraser Mohawk, was there with some electro bands who were playing at the same venue. And he said, he always want to record the Holy Model uh, come, you know, I Let's record the Holy Model. And, and I explained that, uh, you know, I explained about Weber. And um, I had this new band, the Maury Eels. And I said, well, if you want to make an album, it's going to, have to be with, like, uh, the Maury Eels as well as Steve Weber. How long pretty, baby, in in style. Living style. Hey, Lord, mom, mama, hey, Lord, pop, Pop's where we're gonna live in style. Mom on, being for 100 miles. And what happened was that uh, we had to go to California, and at the same time, Antonioni offered Sam uh, the gig of writing the script for Zabriskie Point, so he had to be there at the same time. So it was very, you know, like one of those, like, obviously the fates had an idea here that we should get behind, you know,
4: and sure. after make, and, and again,
3: I told the guy like, look at, you know, you hear this last album, what a piece of shit it is That's because Weber wouldn't practice. And if you want a decent record, you're going to have to, you know, sit there with a shotgun pointed at Weber and making sure that he like, like practices songs before he go into the studio. So we get out there and, and, we worried about, okay, Weber's fine. I talked to him, it'll be great. And so Weber because Weber you know, wasn't willing to like work on anything. So again we went into the studio cold. Um anyway, uh I was taking fucking the speed as most of the band were except for Sam. That wasn't taking much of anything, really. Mm-hmm. And um after the um, re- record was done in a Spirit and, and being like you know like speed induced uh, um, f- friendliness and camaraderie. We decided, hey, we should we should put the whole band together like as you know we should you know like like uh, and, and and call it the Holy model Rounders again. It was supposed to be just a one shot, but after doing it, um, we decided to you know put the whole thing together and there and there we had the five piece rounders.
1: And that lasted
3: for three albums. Well, that lasted until um, they moved to Oregon in 72. But but what happened was that uh, um, in 75, uh, the Rounders were on hiatus. And uh, Dave Reich, the bass player, came to New York and he was staying with us. And we decided to put together a band in New York which turned out to be the Unholy Mobile Rounders. I wanted to call it the Renegade Catholics, but um, like all the bands I've been in, it's basically, you know, one man, one boat. So we put together the Unholy Mobile Rounders, and then Dave moved back to uh, Oregon, and uh, eventually um, Weber basically got kicked out of Oregon, basically. He was living, he was married to this woman, a very sweet girl named Essie. And... Mm-hmm. um Essie worked and cooked and cleaned the house and Weber's job was to take out the garbage. Basically. Um, I wanted to, um, uh, make an album with Weber and some something that people wanted, you know, like wanted us to do it as well. And so I was going to go out there and like, um, 77 to make an album with, with Weber. And, um, they had a, a rich benefactor, and a, a mutual friend of the rich of them died in Wisconsin. There was a funeral on the East Coast, and so he he brought the Rounders out there, and uh, we were we were basically uh, did, did, did a lot of jam type. I mean, we, we we were taking center breaks and songs, you know, kind of like a um, what. Basically a jam band that mostly did songs, but would, would there be jams in, in individual songs as opposed to like the like long noodle sessions? Uh, we tried to do a couple of whole band things, but because uh, Robin Hatt was writing on these amazing songs at the time, but they didn't. Um, um, he was very dissatisfied with the way they came out. Like like basically the band was like killer live. I mean like like at the at the time like our our live shows were pretty f-ing great. And, um, but, um, the magic in the studio is quite, you know, like, like much more difficult to capture. I was very disappointed by the fact that, you know, like, like the, the amazingness of the, you know, seven piece rounders playing live, I uh, never happened. And, and like, I, I thought, geez, if only if I, if I wasn't thinking, I would have like lined up a, like a Nagra tape recorder and like did some live shows because like, like that, that was, you know. I really wanted that to be saved, and here they were suddenly in '76 um, on on the East Coast for funeral, and I was in my balls trying to line up a recording session and line up a rounder behind it, and uh, this is this is the chance we can finally record, you know, like like that amazing band there. But of course, it was in studio, and not live, and we only had a week, and it was in the '90s, and there was no air conditioning, and um. So, the, the result was the um, last round. You, you heard that right.
4: The cold wind from space is blowing in my face. God,
3: what am I doing here? I wish I was a cat, then I'd know where it's at.
4: Sure. It's been a funny year. The dripping of the faucet puts a rhythm to my night. I walk around in time with it. My foot runs away while we I my body's hand. I'm still a human being. God
3: well yeah you know, like 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 I thought it was you know, like extremely unlikely that we'd ever all get a chance to play together again was my take uh, and then um uh Weber did come to the east Coast and we did record uh going nowhere fast, but the thing about the West Coast rounders you know cutting to the chase is that uh they basically didn't work out any new material all the while they were out there. Like, I heard maybe like one or two new songs that they did. But um, apparently, uh, Robin would try to introduce a new song and then uh, taking their cue from, like, when I tried to introduce a song, ah, oh, we don't like it, ah, oh, we don't like it. Mm-hmm. And there was no new material. Uh, then, in the late 90s, uh, where we got keep Valley, of from Oregon, because... Um, they were about to lose their lease because the lander is going to, like, do something with the the space, and and in three months, they're supposed to lose the lease. So, as he said, well, I'm leaving, and um, you're you're on your own. So, in the meantime, uh, he'd been in a car accident. He was a passenger, and he got some insurance money, which he used to move back home to his mom's place in in, in Pennsylvania.
2: Day,
0: moving day, rip the carpet up
3: off the floor, get on your overcoat out the door because it's moving day. Pack up your clothes and get away. If you can't pay your rent, gotta live under the tent because it's movin' day. I, I was pretty fed up with Weber by this time, but oh, you should, he's coming, you should, you a play together, you should do a gig, and so you know, like all that. Well, that would be, it would be. Small-minded to say no, and so we, we we lined up a gig, and it was it was okay, you know. So we started doing gigs together. After we got out, uh, you know, came to, the, came to the east coast. There was a there were a couple of uh, rounder reunions in in Oregon. Uh, Weber and I'd fly out there for a rounder reunion on I think two occasions, uh, and um, there was supposed to be a third reunion. In, in, in uh, May of '03, which was exactly 40 years to the month from the time we got together. And Weber's girlfriend, right. who by the time was his manager, right, um, mm-hmm. said that speaking as his manager, she advised him that going to Oregon study the anniversary was a bad career move, her very, move, her very words.
1: She was saying that uh you got you were uh withholding some of the rounders millions.
2: <laughs> and yeah, you uh she-
1: your response to that was like there may have been hundreds here or there once once in a <laughs> <Yes>. while. <laughs> but <laughs>
3: Yeah. And that, and that was about it. I, I missed some aspects of the way he was in the um on sixties and even even seventies, you know. But what finally happened of course is that he didn't show up for the um you know, for the reunion and then uh um the you, you heard the Too Much Fun album, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Well we recorded another album as well. It's supposed to be the follow up. And there were two original songs on it and Weber and his girlfriend insisted that uh they be taken off the record because he was gonna do a solo album, which needless to say never happened ever. Then I said, well, look at this, you know, okay, let's cut those two songs out. There's still, like, 14 songs left. That's enough, you know. Uh, But they were, by that time, they were spooked and didn't want to do it. So so there's this Lost Runners album, which is, like, a really nice album.
1: Peter, I had a couple other specific things I wanted to ask you about. Um, Me too. One of them (laughs) is, for me personally, um, the album Indian War Whoop,
4: goes to sonic
1: territory that i feel like nobody else has ever gone to before or after i cannot wrap my head around what the those sessions must have been like but just the sound of it is so disorienting and beautiful and uh seemingly like kind of off the cuff but intentional and maybe like a even a little antagonistic like maybe the jokes on me for even listening to this. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that I, every time I hear it, it still doesn't make sense to me, but I have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> do you have do you have anything to say about that particular album? Well yeah. Um on Song
3: The Rounders and like I say, I explain that a Weber won't rehearse, so it'll be a mess. Oh sure he will, but he didn't. And went to studio without Weber rehearsing. And Weber and I took a bunch of speed. And and Sam didn't. Uh, it was like August of '67, I think. And uh, I stupidly didn't go into the studio, go to the mixing session. Like I, I, I not, the idea of no tracks between, no 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 breaks between tracks is like like a bad idea and not my idea. And I wish I would have gone to the mixing, but. My last take after a while I was like, "Yeah,
5: it's a great record. I never want to hear it
3: again as long as I live."
5: <laughs>
3: When's the last time you think you heard it? Well, actually, I I, I heard it again like a couple of years ago and thought, "Well, this is actually, you know, not as bad as I thought it was." Like there 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 are some there, there are a number of really nice parts.
1: I think Radar Blues is especially nice.
4: Someday soon.
1: I really appreciate uh, being able to talk to you for this.
3: Great, great talking to you. Thank you so much. and
1: uh, Thank thank you so much, Peter.
0: Okay, that's the end of Low Profile Season 2. Thanks to Peter and Robin from the Holy Modal Rounders for sharing with us. Rest in poetry, Steve Weber. Shout out to Miles for mastering this episode. And shout out to Jeffrey Lewis for recording that nice introduction. If you'd like to see a longer video version of that intro, go to lowprofilepodcast.com and you can find it there. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeffrey's music, go to the dot site.com. You can find his music, including collaborations with Peter Stampful. Season three is already in the works and will be coming at you real soon. So if you haven't already, smash that subscribe button to stay in touch. If you want to get behind this show financially, we'd really appreciate your visiting patreon.com slash low profile. also helps just to tell a friend or rate and review on iTunes. Leave a review online and... Thanks for listening. Catch you later this summer.